you really mustn't, darling. I... What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Can I Comment? I'm Michael. And I'm Jake. And this week, we sit down with a really good friend of ours, Fillmore Bold. That's right. Fillmore is a pastor in New York City and an amazing guy yeah. and a good friend of ours. And we're sitting down to talk about all things church and leadership in the 21st century. COVID, deconstruction. Deconstruction. Trying to ask the question, is the church in America declining, like so many are saying? And what do we do about it? What do we do is? about it? If it is, exactly. So it was uh, such a really such a good episode with Fillmore. Um, and hey, listen, before we jump into that conversation, do us a massive favor. Would you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify? Uh, would you subscribe to the podcast? Would you give us a nice rating or a not so nice rating if you want to give us a not so nice rating? But please, a that. nice rating Only would if you like us. be amazing. Uh, leave us a review. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube. And that would be super helpful as we still just continue to get the word out about the podcast. So, hey, we're going to jump into this conversation with Fillmore and we will see you back here next week. Well, sick. Well, let's uh, let's jump into this, shall let's we? Do it. We are here with the one and only Fillmore Bolds from New York City. Fillmore, what's up, man? Podcast, man. Honored to be here with my friends, Jake and Mike. Thanks for having me. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good time. Good to have you, bro. Yeah, we're gonna be fun. We're gonna talk about all the really controversial stuff. No, I'm kidding. We're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. But we do start out not every episode, but some episodes, most episodes, with what we like to call uh, toxic theology. Okay. Because uh, Fillmore. I know you know this. There's a lot of toxic theology out there on the internet. And uh, so what we like to do is just go deep and find some of the best <laughs> theological thinkers, um, deconstructionists, if you will, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And we don't say who said this, but we just like to read it. And uh, I just I don't give you or Jake kind of a heads up as to what it is. But I'll read this. Okay. Um, and then you guys get to respond um, with you know, may, maybe what's uh, wrong or toxic, if you will, yeah. about this toxic theology. I always like to give the guests the first word so yeah. we have time to think about it. <laughs> okay, Got it. you ready? Got it. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Shoot it to me. okay, here we go. One of the greatest sins we commit in our evangelical culture is thinking that the gospel is centered on the mental ascent of right belief instead of mandatory and radical inclusive love for our neighbor. So I'm going to read that, read that one again. Okay, read it, read it, read it one time. One of the greatest sins we commit in our evangelical culture is thinking that the gospel is centered on the mental ascent of right belief instead of mandatory, radical, and inclusive love for our neighbor. So this is essentially calling into question. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. I think if, if, if the person is talking about, like, I think it's, it's just important that we clarify, you know, terms, right? Like, I think there's a response or there's a, there's a cause and there's an effect. So the person is talking about the implications of the gospel. Uh, then I probably honestly would, I mean, Jake could push back on this, but I probably would agree as far as the, the, the response to the gospel is not just a mental ascent, you know? 
Uh, I think the half-brother of Jesus would agree with that, you know? He says, even the demons believe that there's one God and they tremble. You say you have faith, well, good for you. So if it's just a mental ascent, but the gospel cannot be added to in the sense of, like, the the center of the gospel is Jesus, (laughs) you know? So, like, I'm not sure if that's what that person is trying to, like, or they're, I'm not sure what they're trying to critique, essentially, but, or, like, who, but I would say that, yeah, the center of the gospel is the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ that happened in human history. And, and, and there is a response to that. Um, you know, it's the good news about, about, you know, Jesus being the Lord of all. So I think if, if the center of the gospel is what I do, then that actually makes me, you know, that makes me the center of the gospel, which can't be what Paul was communicating. And I also find it interesting that, yeah, anyway, so that's what I would say to that, that I don't know if that's, pushing back hard on that, I would say I agree with maybe the implication of the gospel isn't just a mental ascent. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's a life of action, you know? Like, even when you think about that scripture in Hebrews 11, uh, the classic scripture, you know, like it says, by faith. Mm-hmm. And then basically it's all verbs, or, you know, there's all action after that. It wasn't like they were sitting around mentally assenting to truths, you know? The, the faith was expressed in you know, action. So I would say, yeah, a faith, true faith in the gospel leads to action. But the gospel itself is about the person of Jesus, what he's done, who he is, the life that he lived in his resurrection. Uh, that's why it's the good news. So that's what I would that's what I would say. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think that, that the the finished work of the gospel requires intellectual assent. Yeah. Which is I find that's just that's just a phrase that, that people like to throw around as kind of like a you know, to to minimize Christian belief, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we give intellectual assent to all kinds of things that we're rational beings. <laughs> and that's, that's all action is grounded. And I had a thought or, or, exactly. I, believe, or I believe something. So I digress. I, I agree with you hundred percent. in the fact that I think there's nothing wrong on the surface with the first part of the statement. I think the second part of the statement about radical inclusive love is they're trying to force an issue that um, I think they're actually wrong about as well. But but I think on the first part of the issue about intellectual assent in, in regards to evangelicalism, I think they're right, d- depending, again, on what are the definition of the terms. Yeah. Um, and if we're defining, you know, the crux of like what evangelicals give intellectual assent to as kind of the age old message of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and therefore your spot in heaven is secure, no yeah, matter yeah, how yeah. you live, then absolutely, that's not a that's not the fullness of the gospel. And B, that's not the correct implication of the gospel. Is that now that your your seed in heaven is saved? Yeah, so I think good. that's 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 fair. Um, but as with most statements along these lines, it pretty much always involves some kind of straw man mm-hmm. depiction of what Christianity actually is. Right. Um, and so, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that. You know. I don't yeah. Know this. That, I mean, I've heard I've heard worse on this for sure on this podcast. <laughs> just, but th- there would probably be. Some just because that's a inclusive is a very catchy word in like progressive or liberal circles. So I would imagine without judging this person's intent, but based off of, you know, experience. And that's what we do, Fillmore. This whole this whole (laughs) time is so that we can judge their intent. (laughs) So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Which yeah, yeah, like we are very careful not to do. We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. yeah. Not to. We do try. I've probably been too diplomatic, but I, I would say that they, if you know, it just you just get tricky, right? Because because what are the implications of that? Does that mean that inclusive love means that I have to accept everything if I believe yeah. the gospel? If that's what they're implying, then I would say that I would it would be toxic, you know. 
Because even then, you got to define, you know, what is inclusive? What is love? Who gets to define love? You know, so there is a, but those are intellectual questions, as Jake was saying. And I think, exactly, you know, you, you can't, you can't like throw away reason and intellect. Otherwise, you know, most of Paul's evangelistic strategy has to be thrown out in, in the yeah. book of Acts. you know, so. It's anyway. a false dichotomy that there. Yeah, really. exactly. Yeah, I think. I mean, even going back to the conversation that we're having in another episode about, um, I think that the health of the church actually stems out of how exclusive it's willing to be in terms of drawing really clear doctrinal lines as to what we believe, which I guess, again, comes back to the intellectual assent subject. And I think that creates healthier uh, churches as well, because everybody knows what it is that we're gathered around. But I'm just thinking about like when the gospel is preached in the New Testament, I believe it pretty much always includes like a, an appeal to repent of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of Peter at Pentecost. I think of, mm-hmm. uh, I think of uh, Paul at the, uh, uh, in Athens, it's like the, the, there's the, the appeal there to repent of sin. And that I don't think fits into people's modern day definition of radically inclusive love. That's good. It doesn't usually, they don't usually mean by that. Oh, by the way, make sure you remind them or command them to repent of their mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We have a, yeah. We have a very high anthropology. You know, we don't, we don't need to repent of anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. And it is good. interesting too, like, I would agree, you know, as far as like the exclusivity of, you know, what we do believe, you know, uh, and it is fascinating too that like, you know, I know we'll talk more about this, but in cities like ours in New York and LA, that is seen as bigoted or, but, but, but I find it ironic because everyone's actually making exclusive claims. Like, like everyone's making objective claims. Like no, like no person is not making objective and exclusive claims. So why, well, how, how, how somehow am I bigoted because I'm, I'm making this mm-hmm. claim, but you're, making it. you're, you're, you're making it the same. You're making an exclusive claim and an objective claim as well. It's just, I just don't agree with it. So anyway. And then accusing us of being intolerant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's the logic is just backwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I get this, I guess, to sum that up, the definition, these things are all, typically always left as kind of purposely ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I'm just going to make a strong statement here, but it's kind of, <laughs> demonic, it's kind of demonic in a way, because God is, is not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. God is an author of, of clarity and he's an author of peace. Mm-hmm. And I think when we leave things like purposely ambiguous, and again, I don't know the intention of just hearing the statement, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. If, if we're kind of just inviting people to like fill in the blanks based upon their own opinions or, or their own truth claims, then um, it's not leading people into clear Christianity. Right. It just leads people into, into greater and greater confusion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of those kind of re- remarks and i understand that's what social media is kind of used for <laughs> mm-hmm. is, is pithy pithiness yeah <laughs> at, at least try to be right if you're going to be pithy right <laughs> <laughs> right right no that's good that's really good well let's uh let's kind of jump into you know i know okay, we I had another one but I, I was i was ready oh but i mean i bro i've got hundreds of my, them screenshots my, on my he phone just saves you, them, you tell me i'm <laughs> way too far down the rabbit hole that's why i need both of you in my life to <laughs> remind me of the goodness of, of no no but i do want to jump off because i think i think this is a, a kind of a good jumping off point for kind of the conversation we were texting there's this really cool really good article uh i guess tim keller is starting a series of kind of writings um, about the decline and the renewal of the American church. You know, one of the reasons I think it's great to talk to both of you guys about this is because I honestly, you guys are two people that I know both like unabashedly love and believe in the church. I know Mm -hmm. like, and 
every time I get come away from talking to either one of you, that is invigorated in me. But at the same time, you you are willing to look critically and not in the bad sense of the word, but you are always trying to figure out like, what is, what do we need to be doing different here? Um, mm-hmm. So it's a really good article. We'll drop that in the show notes, but I wanted to actually ask first so that it kind of starts off, the article starts off and he, and he basically says, he poses this statement uh, that there is no more urgent question for the American Christian than this. What is wrong with the American Christian church and how can its witness and ministry be renewed? So I guess my first question was like, obviously, being pastors in cities like New York and LA, where obviously the church comes under fire, probably more than in most cities. Do you think that that actually is the most urgent question for American Christians right now? Like, what is wrong with the American Christian church? And how can its witness and ministry be renewed? I'm certainly not asking you to critique Tim Keller here. But I mean, you can if you want, obviously. But what would your thought be? Like, is that is is much more being made of this like downfall of of the American church than we think. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And like, I can kind of allude to, I mean, he, he kind of alludes to this in the article, but I, I find it fascinating, like how these people, I'm, I'm just interested. I haven't done, I'm sure Jake or yourself have maybe done a bit more research and study, but even like the numbers that were are used to show, you know, decline or whatever, as far as like, you know, people leaving church or Christians leaving church. I'm very interested in like who these people are or like, how are we, how are we coming up with these numbers? Um, because, oh, uh, wait, sorry. All right. So we're back. We were at, um, he was talking about where they get the numbers for. Oh yeah. 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 Numbers and church decline. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I haven't, I'm sure a lot, of, I know like Barna and, but I just, you know, cause I was reading an article earlier. I think Christian Post came up with something that says, you know, like half of Christians, you know, don't believe in the Holy Spirit or like there's like the majority of Christians in the U S don't believe in the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, if these are some of the people that are being included in the decline, like if, if someone doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit, how, how, <laughs> how they're a Christian in the first place. Yeah. You know yeah. So like, if that is the case, then I think, you know, Mm-hmm. I just think that it's a skewed view, like, you know, like a, mm-hmm. a, of, of what the decline is, you know, um, because it's like, so what I said, that could get into a whole great conversation of, <laughs> about perseverance of the saints, because then you could just ask the question, is the church ever really declining? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. 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 Is that's a really good thought, you know, like the church can never decline, you know, mm-hmm. according only, to only if you're reformed. <laughs> exactly. Because if you look at New York, you know, like there's actually been an uptick in churches and in, in, in gospel centered churches, whatever reform language you want to use, you know, like evangelical Bible believing, you know, Orthodox churches that it's been on the rise in the past 20 years. Yeah. So I'm just interested in, so I, I would just say that like, Drake, maybe you can answer more on the nose but i always struggle with that because the data the data i don't i don't i don't know how we're forming the data you know yeah basically he had said the most important question right now is for us to be asking what's wrong with the american church Mm -hmm. i guess for me similar to you phil is like in our context and this is where i guess like cities like los angeles and new york are actually producing the opposite effect Mm -hmm. of what you would think. But it's probably the most, it's probably accurate to the expectation that we should have when it comes to the picture that the Bible paints is that churches actually grow and the body of Christ increases in climates of antagonism towards Christ for the most part, I would say. And that's, you see that in America, but even in places in the world that are very anti-gospel, you're always hearing stories of how uh, the gospel is spreading and people are miraculously coming to faith in Christ. So I guess where we are in the world, I see similar things to you. I see more churches getting planted. I see more people yeah. getting saved. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I don't know that I wake up every day and think, man, the most important thing is to understand what's wrong with the church because I just find <laughs> there's so much right with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but maybe in other parts of the country, in America, mm -hmm. that question should be getting asked. And, and, it, and it, I, Yeah, sorry to cut you off. But I would imagine that, you know, maybe in uh, more traditional uh, Bible Belt communities, Southwest, uh, I mean, South and the Midwest, that right. that could be a trend. And I think it... And I know it is in, in, in some parts in maybe Michigan and Detroit. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, like I just with the, the, the way in which the climate is going when it comes to just basic cultural just truths that we just believe because it's so contested, you can't really get away mm -hmm. with just being nominal, you know, like mm -hmm. you actually have to know what you believe. So I think because of that, you know, even like my dad, like my dad is like, you know, in the heart of the Midwest and kind of seeing this stuff uh, in our family, you know, people in our own family who are kind of turning away. He's like doing a Bible study every, every Saturday, you know, mm -hmm. to like mm -hmm. try to reform this, this thing. So I think, yeah, it's where, it's where you are in, in the world. But like you said, you know, like, even if you think about the Jesus movement that happened in, in, in America, like in a lot of cities in play, or in places like California, like that was a really culturally intense time, you know, mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. sexual revolution, you know, like civil rights, you know, like there was a revival that actually came out of such pressure mm -hmm. um, to, to your point, Jake. So I think I look at New York and LA in the, in the, in the past 18 months, the pressure that we, and I'm actually more hopeful mm -hmm. um, because of historically and also currently outside of um, maybe if you, you know, in the West, there is, there's a revival where there is yeah. pressure. So that's like my, my thoughts yeah. on that. I feel the same hopefulness. And then, you know, not to be too anti that, that sentiment, because I do think that there's truth in it. And I guess that kind of can come full circle back to the subject of COVID-19. And mm -hmm. um, there's that that notion that David Campbell has been talking about in terms of um, COVID being a judgment, kind of superintended by the Lord. Mm -hmm. And part of the purpose of that judgment is to put a stop to inch deep Christianity. Yeah. So if there is something wrong with Western Christianity, I would say for sure it is a low priority on discipleship. Yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, the reason for that is because we've bought into some secular cultural ideals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um uh, in terms of not messing with people's, well, we've bought into individualism, so we don't want to call people to something beyond what they themselves are comfortable with as an individual. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we've bought in a little too much to that message of radical inclusive love because we don't want to call people to holiness, which is what actually leads to a fruitful life. Yeah, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, so for sure, there. I guess I don't feel, this is what I'll say, mm -hmm. I don't think about that question all the time because I feel like I thought about that question a lot in 2020. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. right now I feel like we, I, I've at least come to my own personal answer. We're kind of in the process. And the now process I feel like we're answering. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. That's a, well, that's a really good point. Yeah. That's the thing too. It's like, we all got to think that, I think it's easy to think that like about the church in general, but I think most of us have probably been thinking those things, like you said, for the last 18 months about just our own churches in general. Right. Right. And that may be different for different people, different communities. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that is, as far as I can tell, that is how God looks at the church. Mm -hmm. Like we often talk about how when God looks at the church, he, he doesn't see the denominations and he doesn't see the factions. He just sees the church, the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and absolutely, certainly that's true. God's coming back for one church, not 50,000 churches. Okay. Mm -hmm. But also when you look at the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus is having a, a conversation with each individual church of those seven churches. And he has things to say in praise and in correction towards those seven individual churches. That's really so you can't paint the whole thing with a broad brush stroke. I think you have to be 
willing to look at individual scenarios and context and yada, yada. It's really good too, because I think social media doesn't help with that in the sense of the, the exposure that we have to every problem in every church, right. you know? A hundred years ago, we didn't have that issue, you know, uh, because we didn't have the media and the exposure. So now, you know, I, as a pastor in New York, feel this, you know, subliminal pressure to defend or to take the brunt of some person that's like maybe some jerk pastor in, who's afraid, who's fringe, you know, mm-hmm. in wherever, you know what I mean? But like, like you're saying, I feel like God's going to judge me for how I lead and how we lead our churches here. You know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's, it's silly. That's what well, it is. It's, mm-hmm. I guess it maybe ties into, and I could be wrong on connecting these dots here, but it leads me down a thought uh, of we're so used to judging people collectively as a culture. We've bought into this kind of Marxist collectivism where we look at people and we judge them by the groups that they belong to. And that obviously mm-hmm. gets into a whole conversation mm-hmm. along the lines of intersectionality. Um, but my kind of biggest pushback on that over the last year is that that's not how God judges us. God judges us as individuals. And that is how judgment will happen at the end of time. And it's Mm -hmm. how judgment happens throughout the course of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Even, okay, so even going back to that example, I think it's the church in, is it Sardis or Sardis, S-A-R-D-I-S, the church in uh, Revelation. Jesus has a strong rebuke for that church. And yet he says, there are some among you who are being faithful. Right. Um, And so even when it comes down to a particular church, then Jesus looked at the individual people in the church. And while he was rebuking the church, he commended a few of them and said that they were being faithful. So I think you can only make a biblical case for individual uh, judgment and uh, accountability and responsibility. So it's not, uh, I guess it's not unusual that our culture though, that is bought into this collectivist thinking Mm -hmm. uh, to only speak of the church in general and Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. And maybe they're not. Maybe that's not, not a fair character. That's good. And like, it's even, it gets even more tricky for us because then you feel like the perception of your church as a pastor is being perceived through the lens of other church. Like, you know what I mean? Like people in mm-hmm. our church are now like second guessing or judging us mm-hmm. based off of nothing that has to do with us, but right. because of that collective thinking that you're talking about. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. That's mm-hmm. That's a challenge. Yeah. Well, that makes it difficult. That, and that's interesting too. It's like, yeah, everyone that walks through the doors of our churches does come in with some kind of preconceived notion or preconceived ideas. I've in the past tried to go out of my way to prove, oh, <laughs> we're not that, mm-hmm. you know? So like before I even do it, like we're just gonna go out of my way to prove that like that's not what we are. But I don't know that that's always been the most effective way to approach it. How do you guys find yourself? Because obviously in New York and LA, we, that, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you find yourself not feeling like, oh, or how do you not get discouraged by like, oh, this is like, this is the, th- this is this like thing I got to overcome mm-hmm. before I can actually like mm-hmm. do what it is that I've called to do. In other words, I got to make these people trust me before I can even like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll go. I think the, this past 18 months or whatever, the Lord's really, if there's anything that's been revealed in me or any foundation that has been you know, uprooted. It's been this, the approval of man, you know, um, Mm -hmm. people pleasing. And I think there's so much people pleasing, Mm -hmm. uh, that goes into pastoring that is unhealthy. Obviously you want to care. Uh, and you know, Peter talks about doing, you know, caring for the the sheep and the flock and doing it willingly and be not begrudgingly and all those things. So there's that sense of like shepherd's heart where you want to, there's a concern for the welfare of people, Mm -hmm. but not at the expense of being, uh, paralyzed or Mm -hmm. not confident. So I think, 
you know, um, that is that is that is the thing that has to be overcome in, in me. And I would say from a lot of people I'm talking to, that's a, probably a lot of that a lot of other pastors and leaders have to overcome is just the fear of man. Because a lot of it is a lot of it's actually not even, you know, and I can speak for myself. And a lot of it, a lot of it's not trying to necessarily like prove that we're not like them, but we, I just want them to like me. You know, mm-hmm. I want them to like our church. I want them to like, you know, but if I just feel, you know, I hate. I want to be obedient to how God's called me to lead and how, how God's called us. Then, then if, and if someone, if someone does think that, but I know through, you know, the wisdom and the counsel that I have in my life that, you know, I am being obedient to what God's called me to do. And we are being obedient to what God's called me to do. Then, you know, you kind of don't need to be as, as influenced or as, as impacted by trying to nitpick or trying to, um, I guess, respond to everyone's concerns about us being like whatever other church. So I think the the approval of man and the fear of man is, is, is how I try to, I try to deal, deal with it. So that's, that's good. I think two things. Number one, on the Sundays where I, I get off the, the um, stage and, and uh, go home and I feel like I'm nervous about people liking me are the Sundays that I know I've been the most faithful. Mm, that's um, and so and that connects to the second thing, which is my response when it comes to like that kind of stuff is actually the opposite. Like my internal reaction is I just want to double down on like, <laughs> like I just want to be as cliche Christian yeah. as I possibly can. And not in like a, a you know, a lame way or, uh, right. Or yeah, like yeah. Basically what I mean is like, I just want to be like overly clear that this is what we believe. This is who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. I guess in that, in that I'm trying to not convince people of who I am or who I'm not or who we are and who we're not. Rather, I'm trying to put the focus on who do we believe Jesus is that's good. Um, and what do we believe about his word. So regardless of what your opinions are of this group, that group, or any group in between, and what preconceived notions you're bringing into this gathering today, uh, I just want you to put all of that aside. And this is, the Bible says, and so this is what we're going after. And that to me feels like the safest place to be because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to win people over to myself. Or to our exactly. And if, that, and if that, and when that is the, you know, and, and it's even like in, in our preaching too, you know, like trying to be impressive or trying not to sound like this or trying to sound like this. Like, but if I just want to be faithful, uh, as you're saying, I think I can at the end of the day be okay um, because I've been obedient to God. Because that's 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 the number one thing. And that's with everything, too. You know, like any sort of conflict or contention that anyone may have. The number one thing that my responsibility, even though it may not necessarily be something that you like or that you that makes you feel good or coddles your emotions. My number one responsibility is to obey God. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the number. And and that may not that may not always you may not always like that, but I have to be okay with that. Uh, and even if you leave our church, I still have to be okay with that yeah. um, because obedience is the number one option. And ju- God is going to judge me off my obedience, yeah. not off how many people we can, you know, include by being as neutral as possible. You know, exactly. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah. What I found interesting, and you guys touched on this, and, and Tim Keller talks about it in the article about kind of like uh, he's talking maybe like 10, 20 years, 30 years ago, kind of the decline of what he's trying to do is chart the decline of like the mainline denominations, right? So the mainline mm-hmm. churches. And he says, and it, it's really interesting because it it speaks right to what you guys just said. He basically just talks about how they had adopted heavily to modern secular thought. Mm-hmm. They rejected the concept of miracles, of being born again by the spirit of Jesus's bodily resurrection of a trustworthy Bible. They opted for relativism, lukewarmness, and individualism. Mm-hmm. 
And he goes on to say the mainline churches adopted the therapeutic view of the self mm -hmm. and dropped traditional ethical structures around the use of things like sex and money. So mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting, like thinking about, you know, 20, 30 years ago, this happening. Basically, they stopped being Christians. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm exactly. saying. Who's going to come to, like, of course, they're not going to go to church anymore. Why gather if I don't believe anything? Right. <laughs> Right. But, but it, it, right. But it was interesting. But like even like the thought of um, adopted the therapeutic view of the self mm -hmm. yeah, um, or things like relativism. So the therapeutic view of the self, I think that's something I know we've all talked about a lot of yeah. that just kind of being this like undercurrent that is happening, especially all over the place, but especially cities like yeah. like New York. So not to, New York and L.A. So not to put you guys on the spot, but if we're saying like, OK, a lot of the people that we're experiencing are um, they're actually taking some of this therapeutic, yeah. this therapeutic view of self. What is like uh, what's an example of that? Like, what are some stuff that you guys are seeing oh, in terms man. of the way people are thinking, talking, living, approaching scripture, approaching Christianity that is like that you're just seeing and going like this is an example of mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I actually tweeted or Instagram about this, and I got some DMs the other day about like how we've psychologized forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I remember that. We, mm -hmm. we made forgiveness about how it makes us feel. We say things like forgiveness right. is a is the gift you give yourself, right? Mm. And and we make that the motive because of it, it. But that's that can't be the motive. You know, right. the motive has to be obedience to Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, forgive because Christ has forgiven. That's the overwhelming operative in in paul's writing so it's like that's that's why we forgive because here's the thing sometimes forgiveness doesn't make me feel good sometimes right. it feels like a, a form of voluntary suffering right, right. um and that's okay you know because there's not always going to be positive emotions so that's a different thing right so most people are coming to church for therapeutic reasons you know mm -hmm. life is hard you know they 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 feel depressed they uh you know they just want to feel good and there's a obviously a sense of um need that we meet because you know the gospel is it is good news about you know god's love and that love does change meet those needs but at the same time we're also called to make disciples <laughs> so we're, these people that are coming into our church for therapeutic reasons we're calling them to the, really the ultimate call is for them to deny themselves uh and, and disciple others mm -hmm. so that is like the I guess the dissonance or the the contention that we we feel. So I think forgiveness is one. How we how we talk about mm. things like forgiveness um, is a is a big one, you know. But and we we make we make obedience about the positive emotions connected to it when really mm. sometimes obedience doesn't have positive right. emotions connected. Forgiveness to it. Is, is like forgiveness is self care. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I would say that's that's one way. I think it's a really deep insight. Yeah. And I think you would have got a lot of DMs about that because you put your finger on a nerve. Um, and I think it's a really true statement. Like people close to leadership, like trying to challenge. And I'm like, man, how, how, how much are we being informed? And that's the scary thing, right? Like, you know, that's why I think whether extra biblical knowledge or just knowledge in general, that kind of helps frame where we are is important because Paul says, "Be don't be conformed by the patterns of this world. But you, if you don't actually know how we got the patterns of the world, mm -hmm. you don't know what the patterns of the world are. You don't know yeah. how you're being conformed, you know? So it's, we, we have to constantly be thinking through that, particularly in the West, you know, because um, that's where we are and that's where we're leading. And if, and if we're not, then we won't be, be faithful to leading people into the way of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
So I think the the idea of like the therapeutic self is um is what was the rise and triumph of the modern self mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I know that he had uh three or four influences that were big for him in terms of influencing those those writings that book but he talks a lot about the therapeutic self uh, in that that book the essence of it is essentially that our, our mind is kind of like our source of truth and therefore we need outward reality to conform to mm -hmm. um our thoughts um and therefore anything that causes like anxiousness or or inner turmoil um that is coming to us externally That's good. uh is is therefore bad mm -hmm. um or it's it's bigoted or it's violent or whatever mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um our whole culture the therapeutic culture is basically built around this idea of uh how can i feel good and how can i be mm -hmm. mentally at mm -hmm. at ease which is why and you know i don't want to get us into too troubling territory here but that's why when you have the whole conversation around um gender and and the messaging that that gender is fluid at a certain point you know only you know probably 20 30 years ago um and i think this is actually the whole crux of the book is like the statement uh, i am a, a woman trapped in a man's body mm -hmm. to our grandparents would have been it's not even that it would have been a funny statement. It would have been a strange statement. Like inconceivable. It would have been like, I don't understand. Mm. And that comes back to the idea of there being external objective truth and reality. The process is that we need to submit ourselves to that external true reality, not demand that reality conform itself to us. Um, epistemology 101. <laughs> epistemology 101, exactly. <laughs> I think that 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 comes into the Christians thinking that's good a, a lot in the West, and we have to really challenge that. And that's that's been building for centuries and centuries. Was it Descartes that said, "Man is born free, and everywhere is in chains." Mm. This idea that we ourselves are free, autonomous beings, and that's like a really foundational idea for liberalism. By the way, in, in a sense, liberalism starts to eat itself because it ends up producing such autonomy. We kind of turn in on ourselves and become our own enemies. And mm. I guess I'm kind of rambling here, but this is the the culture, the cultural waters that we swim in. Mm. And I think now more than ever, we have to take Paul's command really seriously to not conform to the patterns of the world um, because those patterns are really pervasive and they're really pressing. Um, yeah. And, and I think like Descartes, Kant, Foucault, like even if, even like a, a inch deep of like any of how they thought, if we were to even read it, I think it would just give you a framework of like why we think the way we think and why we are the way we are, you know, because these people were heavily influencing, you know, like Western thought and we are a product of that. And not everyone has to be a scholar or, or, you know, a nerd or anything. But if you just kind of think through how we've, I think it would really, how we got to where we, how we are, like any historical account, like what's been influencing the thinking. I would even just read that book, The Rise and Fall. Yeah, Fire. read that book or read, read that. The Proper Confidence by Leslie Newbegin is also a really good book to read. It's, a, it's mm. like an essay. So it's not necessarily a book. So it's, cause not I saw you, it's on iBooks though. I saw you post about it and I looked at it. Yeah, up. it's really, really good. You know, he talks about how, you know, yeah, we, it's just really good. I'll, I'll let, I'll let, let, let them read it. But, but yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. And so it comes back to the highest ideal is uh, basically how can I feel mm -hmm. like, how can I have like an integrated inner life? Mm -hmm. um, which means I have to make all of external reality stop, like not let any of it be an affront to my emotions and to my senses. Mm -hmm. um, and that's certainly not what the Bible would call us to. The Bible would call us to submit to God's reality, God's order. Um, and in that we would find the peace that we actually long for. But the problem is when it comes to us as church leaders or pastors, 
we're trying to disciple people in a culture where seven days a week, they're being shaped by a society that says exactly what you're saying. You know, mm-hmm. no external reality has the right to confront me or even make me feel anything negative or sorrowful about myself. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if someone's not reading their Bible, you know, it's very difficult. Like, think about it. Like we're called to form people, help shape people. And if someone is only coming to church for one hour or, uh, you know, we have one hour services. I'm not, I'm not sure how long you guys have services, hour and a half. And then listen to three hours these days. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> really? everybody no, gets hand no. laid. It's, okay. it's crazy. You we know. did a fire, we did a fire tunnel on uh, on Sunday. <laughs> Exactly. But like, I guess the current of, of, I guess, you know, postmodernism or secularism is like just so strong, the pull of it. If someone's just listening to me or you or Mike or anyone preach for, you know, 45 minutes, and that's the only time they're being exposed to gospel truth when everything else in their life is basically telling them a different story. We're fooling ourselves to think that they'll be formed into the way of Christ. Exactly. You know? It's just... It's impossible, you know, it's literally impossible. So I think that is a challenge in cities, you know, um, to get people to to recognize just how much we don't, my biggest conviction is we don't realize how much we're being formed mm-hmm. by the things that we just, we, the average person just doesn't. Every single thing is forming us. Nothing is neutral. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that is neutral. Everything is forming us and we don't, and one of the things I, I, I'm, I, I, read, I read this book and I'm, I'm reading this book called Loving God With Your Mind uh, by J.P. Moreland. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he talks about in it is uh, the more you know, the more you see. Uh, so he basically says, you know, if if you and I, as a, as a doctor, right, was to look at a, so let's say if I, you know, was looking at a rash on my arm and Jake was a doctor and he's looking at a rash on my arm, we both see the same thing, but you would probably see it a bit more in depth because of the knowledge that you have. You would maybe know how to, I guess, you know, articulate it and treat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. Yeah. Treat it, articulate what is needed, but I'm seeing the same thing, but I actually don't know how to articulate it. I don't know how to treat it. I don't know how to deal with it. And that's the same thing. Why it's important to actually know what we, what's going on, what, how, how should, because the more, you know, the more you, you can actually see how you're being formed. But if we don't know it, then we're just going to blindly oblige and just be subjected to the cultural narratives. And because we don't know, therefore we can't see. Um, so I think that's intellectual assent to truth might matter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Your, your mind might matter. It might, but I just thought how, that was a powerful insight. Yeah. How Very does powerful. all this change you guys' approach to you know, like the sermons that you give, the courses that you teach, the things that you say, right? Because I think like, I know, I mean, I've said things in the past of like, you know, it's like to get to know Jesus, like just read your Bible, like a minute is fine. Like even just pray two minutes a day, you know? And now I look back and I'm like, man, have I like, like we're again, we're making it this, this That's like very, therapeutic, very right? therapeutic, easy access. Yeah. Like here's how I can make myself better, mm-hmm. feel better through this. And then it's like, I think about that now and I'm like, Men, maybe obviously the, there's a place for that, but is there, are we at a place right now, especially talking about like the renewal of the American church, whatever that does look like, where it does need to be a bit more intellectual, where we do need to say like, hey, if you're going to make it as a believer in this day, there actually does need to be a leveling up of things like our knowledge and understanding of what it actually is versus just how does this make me feel? I, I think so. And, and the reason I feel confident in that is because I really believe that the Bible is true. And so wh- whenever you understand the truth, it is only ever helpful to your actual like lived existence, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're now living in conformity with the truth, which means you are no longer at odds with reality. And so I, I feel 
really, I sleep really well at night knowing that I'm encouraging people not just to read their Bible, but to study their Bible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's not going to be time wasted. I think uh, like I'm really passionate about eschatology and that's not just because I like to geek out about theological things. It's because I really want to understand like, where are we right now in God's redemptive plan? And mm-hmm. what should we, what should we expect our experience to be like? Mm-hmm. And the more I study it and I see like what the Bible says is true. And I see how that accords with reality. It just makes me a more confident Christian um, mm. and a more hopeful one That's and great. a more joyful one, because I see that this ancient text is, uh, it's not a fairy tale. So That's uh, really yeah, good. Yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. no, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I think lowering the bar or that that sense of therapeutic, I guess, comfort that we, we want to offer people. Yeah, I, I do think it may have shot us in the foot a bit uh, or it may be shooting us in the foot a bit uh, when it comes to how we approach people. Because I also think church history would probably object to, to that, you know, like even how, you know, um, I, I don't know which time it was in church history, but I was reading about like how basically there was like all these like doctrinal truths, pages upon pages that all the new, be- all the new believers had to believe before they even got baptized. They had to like mm-hmm. memorize it, you know, I don't know if it was the Didache or, or what it was. Um, so I'm paraphrasing, they could probably do their own research if they just Google it, whoever's listening to this. But think about if we were to do that now, like you can't mm-hmm. be baptized, like mm-hmm. you would be seen as like, you know, bigots or whatever. And right. obviously, you know, right. like, I'm not sure there's warrant for that because you see in the New Testament, people immediately being baptized. But the point is they were really serious about forming people, you know, catechesis or whatever, you know, they were really, really serious about, uh, about that. And I think we should be, we should be too. Um, but even like just practical things uh, or the experiential part of like praying and like reading the Bible and like, ser- like not lowering the bar because these things will shape you and form you and we, and we need to do it. And if, and if it does, cause it's, praying doesn't always feel good. Reading my Bible doesn't always feel good, mm-hmm. but it's part of my formation. You know, mm-hmm. I am shaped by my habits, mm-hmm. you know? So if I, if I make a habit of doing these things, I will be formed in, in the right way. So, and here's why this matters. And I think we're probably coming towards the end of our, our time, mm-hmm. but this matters a lot because uh, the world or the West, especially, is not getting less ideological. It's getting more ideological. Mm-hmm. And when you when you bake in increased ideology uh, and passion around ideology, and you bake that in with uh, increased postmodernism and moral relativism and subjective truth, and you have nothing objective to appeal to, and yet we're getting all the more passionate about our ideologies, what's going to happen is you're going to have clashes of the will more and more and more and more. So like in America, we can point to the increased political division, Mm. right? And we're looking for the right candidate to try and calm things down Mm -hmm. and like, right? It's not going to happen because the world is getting more ideologically driven and it's getting uh, more postmodern. And so Mm -hmm. we have nothing objective to appeal to. And yet we're not backing down on our beliefs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so wills are going to crash again and again and again and again. If it's not not COVID-19 or if it's not a political election or if it's not vaccines it's going to be some other thing and i think those things are going to keep rolling and so if as christians we do not know and understand biblical truth 
then we're going to keep running into this issue, right? Whether it's uh, intersectionality or, or critical theory or, mm -hmm. or, or viruses and vaccinations or right. whatever. If we don't have the objective, <laughs> we are not going to do well. Yeah, and we won't, um, be, we won't be confident right. to, your, to your point. You know, like, you know, you, like you said, the Bible is true. You know, we won't be confident. And a lot of times, I think he alludes to that in, the, in, in that article, Tim Keller. But a lot of times we, we're looking, we're accepting the world's critique of the Bible. Mm -hmm. you know, and we're, we're scared of like how the world will critique even things on like what the world said, what the scriptures say, teach about sexuality or money mm -hmm. or whatever, or, or power or, or whatever, or authority, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you, you, obedience. And, but really the scripture should be critiquing the, the mm -hmm. world, mm -hmm. you know, like the scriptures critique the world because before Descartes got here, before Foucault got here, before, you know, Marx, before any of these people got here, there was there was an objective reality. There's an eternal truth, you know, and that's what the scripture testified to, eternal truth. So I think we just got to be okay, you know, mm -hmm. with just being bold in that. You know, I don't believe in, in the scriptures I don't or Christ or any of this because of how it makes me feel. I believe in it because it's true. And, it mm -hmm. is, and if it is true, I have to obey, you know, exactly. like... Mm -hmm. These guys didn't just give their, like, think about it. Just think about it, right? Like, and this is why it's also important because we have to be, we have to be witnesses. Like Peter and the disciples, they weren't witnesses simply because of what Christianity added to their life. You know, right. Jesus is the, he is the cornerstone and we, and what we're, what we're doing because we're so therapeutic, we can come back to that. We want him to be the building block. So we want, mm. we want to use Christ to be the building block of our lives. But whatever other other cornerstone that makes us feel good, that's what we'll put the, the trust in. But he has no parts of that. Neither do, do the disciples have any part of that. The reason that they gave their lives and Peter could give his life is because the resurrection is true. He mm -hmm. met Christ. He had an encounter with the risen Christ. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and then he, he gave his life. But if we just think it's not true or we're, we're not confident in it, then of course we won't live lives that are bold and witness, you know? So that's... Mm -hmm. My, my rant there. That's it. That's great, man. I love it. I think that's a great place to, uh, to close it down. Fillmore, man, that was amazing. Thank you, dude. Thanks for taking the time to hang with us today. Thanks, brother. Love this you so much. Fun, man. Love you guys. And uh, love you guys the best. We love you, man. Talk to you soon.